Hey, thanks again, everybody, for coming to church. Uh, if you're a guest with us, what we've been doing these past four weeks together is a series of talks called 2020 Vision, and we're actually going to finish up that series this morning. And uh, over these past few Sundays together, we've been examining four universal promises that God has made. And even though these uh, promises are ancient history for all of us, God made them thousands of years ago, what's amazing is they're still applicable to your life today. And God promises that if you'll live out these four promises, the immediate impact of that is fulfillment in your life, joy in your life. You're going to feel blessed. You're going to feel closer to him. Uh, But it all comes back to these four promises. The good news is um, most people that I know, they're looking for that exact thing, something, anything to satisfy this angst that they have in their soul. Furthermore, it's my contention that God put that uh, longing there in your soul from the beginning. He, he put it there to, to direct you back to him. In fact, God says in the, in the Bible that God placed eternity into the heart of man. So these relationships that you've tried, you know, those drinks that you've tried, that retail therapy that you do online for your soul, like all of that is in an effort on your part to find satisfaction. But in the words of the theologian, Mick Jagger, I can't, I can't get no satisfaction. So I try and I try and I try. So what I thought would be helpful for us to do here in November is acknowledge that on some level, we simply can't solve this journey of life on our own. And because of that, we need to discover what God says will give us joy because I think 2020 could be the best year of your life. You just got to start seeing clearly 2020 style what God has planned for you. I'll give you a sneak peek of Christmas messages here coming up. Advent starts next week, and we're going to examine all of December, Luke 2.10. An angel shows up after Jesus is born, and he says, Don't be afraid to these shepherds. He says, I bring you good news that will bring great joy. What kind of joy? Great joy. That is for all people. What a tragedy it would be for you to show up in heaven and not have experienced this great joy that God has promised you here on earth. This is what God wants for you. Fulfillment, joy. God's not trying to keep anything from you. Those do's and don'ts that you see in the Bible, they're for your flourishing. They're for your blessing. Now, it doesn't mean that your life is going to be all sugar cookies and brownies. Great joy doesn't mean everything is going to go your way and you'll never have difficulty. Great joy means even in the pain, there's still a purpose. And there's still a promise from God that you're going to find fulfillment in Him. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean my life's been all dancing bunnies on rainbows and chocolate truffles from the nifty nut house, okay? Like, we've, we've seen some stuff. But that's also why I wanted to chat about God's vision for your life. Because God's promised you something and you need to get it deep down in your heart. And just so we're on the same page moving forward, we're going to just recap real quick these four promises that God has made. We're going to do a quick dive into the very last promise. Again, I could have showed you these promises, at least one of them, in any book of the Bible. 
But what we've been doing is looking at these four promises out of Exodus chapter 6. So if you brought a Bible, it's there in your notes. You can follow along on the screen. You can find Exodus chapter 6. The reason I like Exodus 6 above and beyond all the other passages, besides the fact that it's first, uh, and if you ain't first, you're last. Come on, somebody, Ricky Bobby. So uh, we've been looking at because it's first. But the reason I really love this text out of Exodus 6 is because for thousands of years, the Jewish people have been getting together for a little celebration that they call Passover. And for thousands of years, they follow 14 different steps. And for thousands of years, they've taken uh, these four I will promises that we're about to read in Exodus 6, and they drink a cup of wine for... Uh, each one of these I will promises this is part of their 14 steps. The four cups of, of praise is what they call these. So uh, let's just recap real quick. 6-6. Six, six. So, uh, Moses is to these people in Egypt. God says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment and I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Those are the four I will promises that God makes. That for thousands of years, people have been remembering. You can see first that God says, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And the Passover Seder, so they call that, just means Passover order. They call this the cup of sanctification. We're calling it the promise of salvation. God promises to get you out of slavery. Now you might be thinking, I ain't a slave, right? I don't, I'm not under any burdens of any Egypt. This is America. Colonel George Washington said, we're going to serve the red, white, and blue in here. I ain't a slave to anything. Well, sadly, this promise is not talking about your physical slavery. It's talking about your spiritual slavery. And uh, Jesus says in John eight thirty four that if you commit sin, you're a slave to sin. I think on some level you could acknowledge in your life somewhere that you've been a slave to something. At one point we were all a slave to something. So this promise of God is that he's going to rescue you out of that spiritual slavery. The good news is he is ready, willing, and able to set you free. And the best news is it has nothing to do with you. This promise of salvation is all about what Jesus did on the cross for you. And this promise is fulfilled by you just simply having belief. That you believe Jesus can set you free because of uh, his death, burial, and that he rose from the dead. And the power that rose him from the dead literally gets to live inside of you. You might feel dead on the inside, but there is a seed of life that God planted a long time ago in your heart, and it's just waiting to spring forth into joy that we've already talked about. So God promises you. Shared this with our leadership team this past week. Y'all ever heard of Death Valley? Been to Death Valley in Eastern California? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Uh, Literally the hottest place on the surface of the earth. July 10, 1913, the recorded temperature in Death Valley was 134 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay, I got a picture of what Death Valley looks like uh, today. You can see nothing grows there. Nobody lives there. Nobody farms there. It is a barren, desolate wasteland of nothing. Aptly titled Death Valley. 
every year, on average, they get less than two inches of rain. You could go out into your garden and spit a few times and have more rain than they get every single year. Now, what's kind of cool is in 2004 and 2015, they had these freak cataclysmic storms in October that dumped seven inches of rain in the valley. This is a picture of Death Valley in the spring of 2016. Isn't that cool? Nobody thought that was cool. I thought that was freaking amazing. That Death Valley is dead, and then all of a sudden, after a little bit of rain, see what they discovered is Death Valley isn't actually dead. Death Valley is just dormant. The seeds have been there all along. They just needed the right conditions, kind of like your soul. That God planted this seed deep inside of you a long time ago. And it's just waiting for the right conditions in order to have a super bloom. That's what they call this. Uh, these freak, you can Google it, super bloom in Death Valley. You see at New Anthem, we believe that our job is to create environments where you can bloom. We believe God gave you this seed in your heart and you have a great potential and you just need to get God's conditions in your life. You need to be planted in his soil. Psalm 92, 13 says, those planted in the house of the Lord, they're going to flourish. Scripture says, my job is a shepherd and I'm supposed to take you to these different hillsides where you get to eat this nice green grass over here and I'm going to say, oh, come follow me over to this. You're going to flourish over here where there's this green grass and I have no idea what kind of desolate wasteland you lived through this week. And I have no idea what kind of barren desert you're going to be leading to in the week to come. So I just want to make sure that you come in on Sunday and you get to experience a super bloom Sunday. Come on, somebody. Like, this is why we play loud music, and this is why we clap our hands, and this is why we raise our hands to celebrate God. I'm trying to get the soil right for fulfillment and joy in your life. That's why we have coffee and food, and we send your kids back there so you don't got to see those monsters when you come in on Sunday. You say, I get an hour away, and this is like the joy that we're trying for you all to experience. Now, God's ultimately going to bring the rain onto your soul. I just want to make sure you're in the field when he does. You tracking with that? So when we come in here, it's all about God watering you up. Every single Sunday morning, our uh, job is for you to experience fulfillment and joy. And what we're going to try and be about every time I get up here and preach, the word is evangelism. Because we're going to share the good news that Jesus is trying to set you free. And every opportunity I have, I want you to feel free to invite all the people in your life that you know haven't got this seed of fulfillment so that they can feel safe in here and hear that good news that God is ready, willing, and able. Now, God didn't call me to make converts. He said, no, we're supposed to make disciples. So this is actually promise number two. He says, I will deliver you after I brought you out of slavery. This is an entirely different promise of salvation. In the uh, Jewish Passover, they call it the cup of deliverance, and we call it the promise of freedom. God got you out of slavery. He got you out of sin. Now he's got to get the sin out of you. He rescued the people out of Egypt. 
They were still living like Egyptians. He had to get the Egyptian uh, culture out of them. Where promise number one has nothing to do with you, promise number two is much ado about you. There's some spiritual things that you need to build into your life in order to help you on this spiritual journey of God that leads to your flourishing. What I know is true for everybody in this room, including me, we each have an area of our life that if it wasn't in our life, our life would be better. There's some weeds in our super bloom, everybody, and we got to get the weeds out. And the key to getting the weeds out, as I've made clear every time we've talked about this, is in your relationships. Who you're friends with will absolutely impact who you become. Your friends, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And so what we think is necessary in order for you to experience freedom is we wanted to create in this place a a place for you to develop significant Christ-centered relationships. In church world, they call this small groups or life groups or home groups. Whatever you want to call it, we feel like this is the place where discipleship happens. Our entire church hinges on our group ministries. Because 1 John 1, 9 says, if you'll confess your sins to God, he's faithful and just, and he's going to forgive you your sin and cleanse you from unrighteousness. But James 5, 16 says, you got to confess your sins to one another so that you can be healed. So God's going to forgive you. God's people are going to help heal you. The relationships that you have are going to impact your life. I told you a couple of weeks ago that every sin has a gotcha, and it's eventually going to get you. And the secret sauce to getting past that is your friends. That's why we design our church around groups. Literally everything we do hinges around groups. Serving, we got a group for that. Discipleship, that's what's happening in your group. A Bible study. If you're in the hospital, we got a group of people that come visit you in the hospital. You need meals, you need food, you just had a baby. We got a group of people that handles all of that. You want to get known, you want to grow in your faith, you want to find fulfillment and joy, then you got to get in a group. Now, people will often tell me, Pastor, I don't need any more friends. I've got enough friends, I don't need to get in a group to which I want to respond, which I never do, but in my mind I'm thinking, then how come you're still trapped in sin? I mean, if, if you've got such great friends, how come you're not overflowing with joy? How come you're not free to experience the fullness of life? And other people will say to me, well, I tried that group thing once, it didn't work for me, and to which I want to respond and I never do, but I'm thinking, well, what'd you put into it? Because you reap what you sow, And if you come to group two times out of ten times, then of course it didn't work. But I I don't actually uh, say that to people because that's not very tolerant of me. So I just think it in my mind. And uh, where the vast majority of people want to find fulfillment and joy, they'll end up stopping short on this promise towards the path of life. Almost every single person stops on promise number two. Sure, people will come to a good church, They'll get set free of sin. That's easy. That, all that required for them was just belief. Uh, they didn't have to do anything. They just trusted in Jesus. And people start on the path to joy. And then most people will stop because they don't want to do the hard work of getting known and do the hard work of doing life with somebody because people are messy and people will eventually let you down. And so people make their, uh, you know, their understanding of God based on God's people, which God never fails and people always do. And so, what kind, you know, you can't look at God's people in order to figure out what God's like. 
you got to look at what God's like. And you got to start doing life with one another and figure out how to be healed. You got to start figuring out there's more to life than just you. There's something out there bigger than yourself and you've got to experience it. So think about it. these first two promises entirely about you. But God said, I'm going to take you to be a people, not just a person. And so you've got to start experiencing life with God's people. Now, in fairness, promise number three is also about you, but it's ultimately about you being more. And so Exodus 6, 6, God says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Passover cup calls this redemption. Last week I told you this is the promise of restoration that God wants to restore you to your original purpose. The word redeem in the Bible, in the original Hebrew, that's what that actually means, that God's going to restore you to your original purpose. He had in mind a job, so he made you. According to Ephesians chapter 4, my job is to help you discover that. What is your purpose? Ephesians 4.11 says, Now these are the gifts that Christ gave the church. The apostles and prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, their responsibility, my responsibility, is to equip you, God's people, to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. My job is to equip you for ministry. I'm not the minister, you are. So in order to equip you on this path of life that God has promised will lead to your fulfillment and joy, we've developed this process called NEXT. Because our vision here at New Anthem is to connect people to God's purpose. The greatest day is the day you're born. The second greatest day of your life is the day you figure out why. I want to help you figure out why. So we have this process called Next that if you'll go through, will help figure out how God has wired you and shaped you and molded you and what spiritual gift he has equipped in you. You are a 10 in some area. God has promised it. So we need to figure out what that area is. Again, they call that a spiritual gift. What's sad is most people have no idea what their spiritual gift is. 87% is the statistic that they've come up with. 87% of Christians in the most recent study have no idea what their spiritual gift is. And here's why that's a big deal. Because according to the same Ephesians passage, we're a part of a body, right? And if our body is operating at 13%, things are going to go awry. And parts of the body are going to be doing things that the other part was supposed to be doing, and it's malfunctioning. And so we got to figure out how to get the body operating at 100%. And when you're part of a church that's about creating life, you're going to experience a super bloom in the valley, and you're going to figure out how God has wired and shaped you, and it's all going to start working together. And this is the gift that leads to life and fulfillment. That's why I want you going through next. Not because I need something from you, but because God has promised something for you. Fulfillment and joy when you start living out your purpose. This is promise number four. Uh, the, the Passover final cup, they call it the cup of praise. We call it the promise of fulfillment. God's trying to help you find fullness of life. The only natural response to that is to praise. When you see the word praise in your Bible, it's often the word Hebrew word Hallel. Uh, it's where we get the word Hallelujah. Uh, we celebrate God. Hallel 
Yahweh. Hallelujah. That's what Hallel means, to celebrate God. This is the cup of praise. That's just free trivia for you to know next time you play Jeopardy. Not what I want to talk to you about. The promise in Exodus says in 6, 7, I will take you to be my people. I'm going to be your God, and you shall know that I'm the Lord your God. Or that text backwards, you can't know the Lord is God until he takes you to be his people and he's redeemed you and set you free and uh, rescued you from slavery. So here's what I want you to write down, my entire message in a sentence. The goal of church isn't to bring everyone's work into the church. The goal is to bring church into your work. That no matter what it is that you're going through in life, I want to be there with you and the people want to be there with you alongside of you. Our goal is not for you to come to work here at New Anthem. Our goal is that you're so fulfilled from serving God's purpose in your life that will indirectly go with you to work. Like next time you do something dumb at work, I want to be the Dennis Nedry of Jurassic Park to you. Ah, 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 you didn't say the magic word. You know what I'm talking about? Ah, 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 you did something dumb. Ah, 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 you shouldn't make that deal. Ah, 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 you shouldn't say those words. Ah, 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 don't go hang out with those friends. Ah, ah, ah. Bring your pastor to work day every single day. That's what I'm talking about. I'm looking over your shoulder like, you shouldn't be doing those things. You shouldn't be saying those words. I want to be with you fulfilling how God has created you in your life. I'll acknowledge the elephant in the room, okay? I'm a professional Christian. I get paid to be good. I mean, you guys, you have to be good for nothing, okay? And... And that's that's hard to be to be good for nothing. And so what we need to understand is that this is how uh, how God has clearly designed it. Is most people when they think about Christianity, think they think in terms of clergy and laity and ministers and non ministers. Those are categories that the Bible never uses. My call is just different than your call. You know that, that's why you got to figure out what your calling is and how you fit into the body. There's a more uh, uh, comprehensive text than Ephesians 4 that talks about the body. This is 1 Corinthians 12. It says, The human body is many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says... I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand. Does that make it any less part of the body? No. And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? No. If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? If your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? See, I'm just a mouth. But if I'm not attached to the head, I'll say some pretty stupid stuff. Okay? Just ask my wife. It happens all the time. And, and if you're a hand and you're not attached to the arm, and you're not attached to the shoulder, and to the body, and the leg, and you see what I'm talking about? We've got to be joined up together, operating as one. So we have to be attached to the whole church body. But the goal isn't to bring your work into the church. The goal is for you to take the church, how you're operating God's gift to you, into your work. So obviously there's going to be opportunities for you to bring your work into the church, of course. 
For example, every single fall, we do the greatest event in the history of church. It's called Fried Fall Fried Food Bonanza. And all we do is get together and eat fried food. And it's amazing. And we talk about fried onions and chicken and mozzarella sticks and peppers and cookie dough and Oreos. It's fantastic. And a couple years ago, a small group got together and said, hey, we want to take this event over. So the Friday and Saturday before the extravaganza on Sunday, they get together and they hand batter all of the food and they create different contraptions and recipes. And then Sunday morning, they get together early before church is even going. They get out there and they set up the fryers and the tents and all of that in order for us to be uh, able to have this event. And this year on Sunday, I went back to the tent where they're frying everything and they were laughing and they were joking and they were having fun working at McDonald's, frying food for us. And like, how can that be? Because that's how God designed them to work. They're using their spiritual gift of hospitality in order to serve us. And when you do something to make a difference with people who are making a difference, the promise of God is fulfillment. That God's going to give you joy around the work that you're doing. You know, the Wall Street Journal actually picked up on this. They wrote an article a couple years ago about joy and generosity and how the two things work together. I don't know what you know about Wall Street Journal, but it's not a Christian publication, so to speak. And they were like bewildered at how generosity leads to joy because scientists have discovered that when you do something nice for somebody else and you get nothing in return, your body actually produces a chemical inside of you and that chemical is called an endorphin and endorphins lead to joy. So in terms of mammalian evolution, that should not be. When you're talking about survival of the fittest, there's no place for service You tracking with me? You do you. And you pass on the strong. Only the strong are going to survive. You shouldn't do nice things for anybody. Pass on your genes. And so they're looking at this and they're like, how is this a a thing? How has evolution led us to the point that when you do something nice for somebody else, it creates in you joy? And so they're surprisingly perplexed about this whole thing. And I'm like, it sounds like There's a God in heaven who designed his people to be nice to one another. And when you're nice, it leads to happiness. Not super shocking to me. And they couldn't figure it out. Wildly perplexing. God has designed the world to work in such a way that when you do nice things for other people, it makes you feel good. It could be why the word servant appears 57 times in your New Testament. Uh, The word serve, it appears an additional 58 times in the New Testament alone. 115 times we're commanded by God to make a difference for somebody else. I'll give you one verse that's going to really jack you up, jack me up. Hebrews 13, 2. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. Well, the, some people, the translation say, you've entertained angels unaware. Like, what in the world? Angels, by serving people. 
So the other night, I was uh, coming home from deer hunting. I want to talk about it, okay? So don't bring it up. I'm coming home, and it's, it's dark. And I exit off uh, the interstate at, at my exit. And as I'm exiting, there's a car parked on the side of the road. Now, there was a truck exiting in front of me, so I couldn't really see what was happening. All I could see was tennis shoes, dress, bonnet, like bent down Mennonite lady, of trying to change a tire. And so I get, you know, onto my exit, and uh, I was thinking I should probably stop and help her. That's the thought that crossed into my mind. And then I was like, she's a Mennonite. She probably knows more about changing tires than I do. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I don't know. I should probably figure it out. Um, and apparently the truck thought the exact same thing that I thought because they turned, and I was like, yeah, we're fine. And so I start on my turn and start heading home. You know what scripture pops into my mind? Hebrews 13, too. You could be entertaining angels unaware. What if that chick's an angel? And then I was like, she ain't no Mennonite angels, you know what I mean? Like, that's what it comes. Is it safe to say that? I don't know. Is this a safe place for me to tell? I'm just trying to be honest with you right now. I don't, I'm a horrible pastor, okay? I didn't apply for this job. I just got called here. So, um, but that's what I thought. I was like, yeah. And then I was like, no, you know what? I better. So I turn around. Like, I had Laura in my mind thinking, you better turn around and help this lady. I was like, all right, I'll do it. And so I turn around and I park. Now, I just got done hunting. I'm in full camo and coming out of the darkness. And I'll tell her, hey, you need some help? And she's like, don't kill me. You know, I mean, no, I don't want any help. What kind of murder are you going to lead her? And I was like, no, I'm seriously here to help. Um, and she had the thing all jacked up. She uh, tried to get the car or to do it herself. And the jack was on plastic. She didn't hit the frame. And so as she jacked it up, it cracked the plastic and dropped the car onto the jack. So we were in a real quandary trying to figure the whole thing out. Long story short, we got it figured out. I got the, the jack out from under the car. And uh, there was a number of cars who also came down the exit at the same time. And not a single person stopped. And here's my point. I could have went home and didn't feel bad at all. There's a number of times where I see people on the side of the road and I don't stop and I don't get the prompting in order to stop. But in this case, I did stop and I did what was right. And at the end of the night, I felt good because I helped. Because God has designed the world to that way. And here's what I can tell you will be true for everybody in this room. When you do something difficult for God, God delivers to you joy every single time. He's promised it, puts it in your soul. So when you hear me talking about getting on a team and serving in church and not just coming once every couple weeks and sitting here, it's not because I need you in order to do church. It's because I want something for you, not from you. God has promised you joy and fulfillment. You just got to live out these four promises. This is God's paradoxical universe. You want to be first? Be last. You want to live? Die to yourself. This isn't about you finding a place to work in the church. This is about you taking church into your work and being gospel in real life to the people who need to be set free. You need a super bloom in this proverbial desert culture that is America. Find some fulfillment here in this place and start serving. This is your super bloom. Now, that being said, 
if you caught my sermon title there in your, your notes, you'll see that I titled this message, Super Blooms and Supper Reservations. What in the world does any of this have to do with supper? I am so glad you asked that. Thank you for asking that because this is super exciting. And I can't wait to show you this passage. It wrecked my world when I first saw it. And this is such a big deal. Because you remember how I was talking about for thousands of years, the Jewish people would get together and they drink these four cups of wine in addition to the 14 things that they had to do in order to celebrate the Passover. Well, guess what? Jesus was Jewish. And for thousands of years, he instituted this thing, you know, and then for the 30 years that he was alive here on this planet, he would participate in this Jewish festival called Passover. And he'd get together with his family and they'd go through the 14 steps. And then on the night before he's about to be crucified, it's the night before Passover. And he's got together with his disciples and they've sat down in order to do this Um, last supper meal together. They're going to take Passover together as a group of guys. And so this is recorded for you in every one of the the books of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can read about the last supper. I want to show you Mark 14, 22 because it's amazing. Check this out. While they're eating Passover, Jesus took bread and when he had given things, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for the sins of many, he said. Now, again, we know for thousands of years of Passover history, this is the third cup. You can Google it. Google Passover Seder, and it'll tell you at supper is the third cup. Okay? Now watch this, verse 25. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God when they had sung a hymn. That's fun. I just threw that in there to prove to you why you should sing in church because Jesus did. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. My point is, Jesus never finishes the fourth cup. So at the time they start singing this hymn and the disciples are thinking, Jesus, we're not done. And he's like, no, we're done. I'm not drinking the fruit of the vine until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. What's the cup? What's the fourth cup? It's the cup of praise. So in other words, Jesus is waiting for you and for me when he takes us to be his people, when he comes back to this planet and fulfills promise number four. He's waiting for that day to celebrate. Can I hear a better amen, somebody? I know that was a lot to take in. But this is what... Well, God is waiting for that day when we can all gather together to celebrate. Now, I wanted just to drop the mic on that and be done, but I've got to show you this supper. The the Bible makes it clear what that supper is going to look like, and it's fascinating. Take a glimpse of this. Revelation 19.6 says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, because Scripture tells us that every tribe... Every nation is going to be gathered together. And here's what they're doing. They're crying out like mighty peals of thunder. Hallelujah! Because that's our word. We're going to celebrate God. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to Him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb when Jesus drinks the fourth cup of praise with 
us his bride. We've prepared ourselves. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. Uh Uh-oh, hope you're doing good deeds. You don't want to be the only one not wearing white at the wedding. You know what I'm saying? And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. So look right at me. Everybody look right at me. Don't miss supper. God has promised you fulfillment and he's waiting for that day when we gather together as a people to celebrate what he did for you. Eternal life with him in heaven. Get involved. Do good deeds. Find joy. Be happy. Take that fulfillment with you everywhere. Not just here. This is for the world to see what God did for you when he rescued you out of slavery. And put that seed in your heart and you're blooming everywhere. Why would you not want to give that away to everybody else? Every head bowed, every eye closed. God, thank you for this promise of salvation through your son, Jesus. That has nothing to do with us, that it has everything to do with what he did for us on that cross. Thank you for this promise of sanctification where you got us out of sin. Now you're trying to get this sin out of our lives. God, don't let us stop on that promise. Help everybody get into a group, find a group of friends that they can do life with and be discipled and grow. And this promise of restoration where you redeem us back to you. You restore us to original purpose, God. Help us discover how you wired and shaped us. Let us take that into the world. Let us find fulfillment by serving you. As we kind of continue to pray and reflect over this message and how it applies to your life how God has wired and shaped you. I really want you to think about that. What's that one area in your life that if it got better, your whole life would get better? Surrender that to him. Like, But that promise number four of fulfillment and joy, it can't happen without promise number one, where you're rescued out of slavery of sin. So I, I just, I want to give you the opportunity to leave here knowing that your life is different. That Jesus has made a difference for you because he died on a cross for the forgiveness of sin. And he rose from the dead. And that spirit that rose him from the dead, it can live with you. And all you have to do is confess in your mouth and believe in your heart and you'll be saved. Jesus, thank you for dying for sin. Please forgive my sin. Make me new. I believe in your death, burial, and resurrection. Change my life. God, help us leave this place one step closer to you, finding fulfillment of praise. Let us sing hallelujah and celebrate your name. 
because you're worth it. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.